The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. This is Gone by Lunchtime. My name is Toby Manhaya. Beside me, I have the radiant personalities of Annabelle Lee from the Hui. Kia ora. Kia ora. And Ben Thomas from Exceltium. Kia ora. Hello. You had some feedback from someone's flatmate that um, I think in summary you said that Annabelle was a bit too quiet. I was too... In- Loud or you, you, you too much of you? Too, I, think too much. I, I just I, I surmised. I, th- I think the criticism was that sometimes it was difficult <laughs> to hear because our voices project at different levels. Yeah. So I think I think Annabelle perhaps perhaps too quiet, not too quiet, just quiet. Um, you maybe just far too loud and overbearing. I would have, what I what I took from it was that I was pitched just you right. Were very much. <laughs> maybe the, it was kind of the kind of Goldilocks pod. Yeah, we should all sort of mm. aspire to. As, as a real centrist in all respects. Centrist dad, Ben Thomas. We have a lot to get through, listeners. But first of all, we need to talk about um, Adrian, Adrian's baby, don't we? <laughs> our, our, our friend and colleague, Adrian Stevenon. Stevenon yeah. has mm. had a his third. Formerly, Formerly of young McDonald's entertainers. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> and we, Via the hooey. Uh, um, we've already had a, um, a message of enthusiasm from the newborn, but he doesn't have a name yet. He we doesn't we have a name do that. yet. It was maybe McDonald, if given the entertainment. McDonald's of the year. is nice. I would quite like something that plays off Neve, so I'm thinking Nova. What about Neville? Neville. That's what I'd like to call, because it's. I think it's a very funny joke to call... Jacinda Ardern and Clark Gafford's baby Neville. Cute, yeah, funny. Let's That's actually good. call his baby Neville. All right, Ben, any take any Benjamin? No, I, th- I, I think the um, you know off- offering up a name in the spirit of Ratana. Mm. Um, I, I think that you know as now that we're in the now that we're in the, the the era ushered in by the Prime Minister of Gen X tribute baby names. Neve was clearly named after Neve Campbell. Yes. The 90s uh, screen siren. Party um, five. Mm. Yeah, party five. I thought Bailey Beautiful. or Charlie would be a good name yeah. for Adrian's kid. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you've got a selection there. One of those, please. Um, and we'll be happy to announce that at the next Gone by Lunchtime podcast. Simon Bridges has um, <laughs> been... You are right, Annabelle? Oh, my God. Annabelle is... Oh, I don't know what's going on. Sorry, I'm going to have to get that out. Not quite just... 
<coughs> coughing fit. Um, Who's the Minister of Health now? Um, David Clark. Um, like also, and, and, and Alice, who, who may, may or may not cut out the coughing fit of Annabelle Lee, probably won't. Thank you again for um, helping oh, us that's... create this singular podcast. Um, it was like, I sort of feel like it was with all of the shit that's going on in Australia as they go through their usual hellscape of spill and leadership change and backstabbing. It felt like New Zealand as a kind of smaller sibling was like, we got to have a scandal too, but it's the shittiest scandal of all time. Basically, Simon Bridges' uh, expenses information, specifically how much he'd spent on his um, chauffeur-driven car, BMW. Limo is a bit, again, a bit, like it's not really a limo, is it? When you say limo, people imagine this kind of stretched beast that's pulling up outside the Hilton, but yeah. it's it really just stretched? a, it's just no, a it's flash, not, it's, not it's just a nice sedan. Yeah, the right? BMWs, they're, they're quite spacious. They're nice. Four-seater cars. They're Does nice. it have like a drinks fridge? No. Oh, no, there's no, 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 no sparkle. Okay, occasionally you'll have a driver who'll, who'll have some, you know, water bottles and mints. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Mints? Mints. That depends on the driver, Like after though. dinner mints, like chocolatey really, mints, or, or like odd yeah, fellow. Uh, like after, uh, like, like. Curiously Sometimes, sometime, I've actually seen both. It was about $110,000 or something that Simon Bridges had spent doing his tiki tour, meeting and greeting the people and the, the you know, real hard working New Zealanders up and down the tour. country. Yada, yada, yada. Mm. Pretty reasonable. Um, uncontroversial activity for a leader of the opposition. Uh, the information was going to come out two days later, anyway. In a, in what most 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 polities would be a fairly quotidian leak, um, turned into a massive firestorm, um, and oh, then, then 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 it was the big search for the leaker, Trevor Mallard, the Speaker of the House, um, announced that a QC would undertake it. National Caucus agreed to um, serve up their computers for a forensic analyst to dive through and find that it was all all just kind of lost way. But and then it kind of in the coda went a bit haywire when an anonymous text was sent from a burner phone, <coughs> which um, a, a ostensibly... A tribute to 90s, 90s hit Scream. Um, oh, wasn't Neve Campbell in that too? Just join the dots, everybody. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Shit. This is, this is you are listeners, this is, this is like watching Miss Marple at work. <laughs> Right here. I, do, I, I think now's a good time to announce our rebrand as a true crime podcast, <laughs> determined to get to the bottom of the leaking scandal. Wow, this is the new series of Serial. Um, where was I? The um, uh, can I do my the anonymous voice? deranged texts were received, um, where the with, with the anonymous texter claiming to be the leaker. Mm. and also claiming to be buckling under the strain of mental health issues and mm. the pressure created by the inquiry and strongly suggesting that there was a, a danger to themselves if the inquiry continued and they were uncovered. These texts were received by the Speaker Trevor Mallard, by the opposition leader Simon Bridges, and by Tover O'Brien, who was the reporter who uh, broke, broke the story of the leak in the first place. Mm. 
Bridges called a press conference on Friday morning, said that he had been in touch with the police uh, because of the potential threat to this person. The police then investigated, uh, told Bridges that they had found who the person was, um, that they weren't at liberty to tell him who it was for totally understandable reasons because they were approaching this as a potential you know, uh, health you know, uh, safety issue, not as part of a criminal investigation. The police don't investigate leaks. Um, and then uh, it, there was a suggestion that because the texter also uh, made reference to conversations or issues that they claimed only a part of the, someone who was a National Party MP in caucus would know. Now, based on that claim, Trevor Mallard called off the inquiry uh, and leaving leaving Simon Bridges in quite an unenviable position of now having a dominant media narrative that he has some loose unit national MP, you know, that we that nobody knows the identity of at loose in his caucus, possibly not getting the help they need for their mental health issues, if those are true. Um, and and everyone just assuming that it's someone in the National Caucus, even though National now dispute that, you know, those details were particularly sort of reserved uh, for caucus members. Look, in that press conference, Simon Bridges certainly gave the impression that he believed it was someone in his... I mean, it was kind of weird in that he, 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 he gave the impression that it was someone in his caucus, they accept that likelihood of that. And then Jerry Brownlee came out later stomping his feet and all that and said that that was the prime minister had 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 nudged the speaker into calling off the inquiry yeah so that morning the prime minister had said publicly that the, she thought it was an internal national party uh, matter and that because of the specter of mental health issues being raised she thought the inquiry should be called off she said that publicly the speaker then called it off and then he later said that he had discussed the matter with the prime minister and with the opposition leader uh, before he publicly called off the meeting. Now, National have started asking questions about what exactly was discussed with the Prime Minister. The Speaker and the Prime Minister say that it was just a heads up that he was calling off the inquiry, just the same as he, he gave to Simon Bridges. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that. You know, e even if the Speaker was acting, you know, sort of in, in what he believed the Prime Minister's interests or wishes were, you know, the, the way that you do that is you, you don't have direct discussions with people and receive orders. Um, you know, it's it's more a sort of reading the tea leaves kind of matter. I mean, I think he... <coughs> I think Mallard suggested that he was really just informing them rather than yeah, seeking, yeah, seeking yeah. their counsel. That's right, it. yeah. What do you make of it all, Annabelle Lee? It's pretty messy, isn't it? It's literally making a mountain out of a molehill, given that it was going to become public knowledge within a, a couple of days anyway. I feel like Simon Bridges has really emasculated himself through this process, and I feel like uh, when the text came, um, that was an opportunity for him to claw back control mm of what had happened and instead he um, he persevered with his you know um, call for the inquiry to continue and literally um, within hours the rug got ripped out from underneath him again um, I, I don't understand why you would call for an inquiry in the first place if you weren't certain that the leak hadn't come from within your camp because you're really then sort of disempowered 
because you lose complete control of the the process and the narrative and you're just being kept abreast like a bystander. Whereas I think that once the uh, the leak was, was sort of revealed themselves at, at that point, he should have said, okay, this is a National Party matter and we'll be dealing with it internally. You could have continued with the same QC or or have done what he's doing now, which is calling in PWC and who's the other group that he's got? Uh, on a, uh, Simpson, Simpson Grierson. Yeah. Um, so why he, I'm not sure if he's been poorly advised or if these decisions are being made <clears throat> in the heat of the moment, but I, I just think that he has done himself no favours in the way he's he's managed this. I mean, clearly there's it's it plays into a more long-standing tension between the opposition especially and the Speaker of the House, doesn't it? And that the, the, the reason that they were keen on the inquiry, well, no, the, one of the reasons that Mallard did call the inquiry because that he felt that he'd been, his integrity had been impugned. That's right, because the, the people who had access to the information, as far as we can tell, were the, the members of the parliamentary service, that's the staff under Trevor Mallard, Speaker's office, Mallard himself, and his staff, <coughs> and apparently every member of the National Party caucus. So even even if all of these individuals have an equal likelihood of being the leaker, the chance, you know, the, the odds are way heavily in favour of it being part of the, na- the National Party. But because that question had been raised and because parliamentary services has to be seen to be sort of unimpeachable, Mm. Mallard called this inquiry. Then he called it off based on the texts that were received. And where National are angry here seems to be that they are saying he couldn't conclude what he concluded, i.e. it's almost certainly a National Party MP Mm. from the texts that um, that they received. So I think their arguments there are that you know, whatever was expressed in the texts as being sort of secret National Party information, you know, wasn't. It could have been easily known. It was information. Well, I mean, it was purportedly the way it was explained in the RNZ report originally, and I think by Tover O'Brien later as material that you would only have. That was drawn from mm. National Party caucus meetings. Yeah, but. that's right. But on, on the other hand, look, there's, you know, leaks are endemic. Um, I mean, this is part of partially why National went wrong in the first place. Leaks are just a fact of life in Parliament. Leaks are very different from th- the theft of, you know, private information. Leaks mm. are where somebody properly has information and then they 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 use it, you know, for a different purpose to that which was intended. Every time you read a newspaper story about politics and the gallery reporter writes, it is understood, or you know, that means there's been a leak. Right. Well, or a, that they were told a, off the a briefing, record a briefing, about. Yeah, 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 they were told off the, the record leak is about something that. To a briefing, but yeah. Well, not in all cases. I mean, it, it's very much in the yeah, same yeah, vein. Yeah, 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 um, And and you really should just in, you know deal with these things and move on. National should have explained the substantive thing, the substantive issues, which were it's actually more expensive to not take a crown car. You know, these crown car costs <coughs> are largely illusory. They're just accounting <coughs> balances, you know, that get shifted from one government account to another. You know, the cars, the drivers, the depreciation is all paid for, um, and then it's just a different way. They just apportion the costs out, you know, through the year through internal accounting. So it doesn't cost the taxpayer any more, except maybe for a bit more fuel that Simon Bridges supposedly racked up $85,000, you know, in, in, in limo charges, right? It would have been more expensive if he had hired a car because that would have been an additional cost to those costs that were already incurred. But instead of going out and just making that case basically on the facts, we called for, <laughs> for an inquiry. 
um, which you've got to be careful about. The last government got into a lot of trouble doing this. You know, they called for inquiries into the leak of a, a GCSB security report, mm. which led to the resignation of Peter Dunn, which meant that the government couldn't advance a lot of important legislation that year. Mm. Um, they called for an inquiry into leaks of MFAT papers, which um, you know caused huge disruption in the civil service, a lot of people being moved around, a lot loss of trust in departments. Um, so it, it is best to move on from these things, but the you know, I, but I guess their principal concern is that they they still don't know you know who actually was the texter. Does the texter actually have mental health issues, or was that a false flag just to dissuade? You know, it would be impossible to tell the two things uh, apart. According to David Ferrer's Kiwi blog, the texter sounded like they were a millennial. So suddenly Chloe Swarbrick's in the frame. <laughs> Simon <laughs> Brown is under the gun. <laughs> You know, what, that, what do you think that that does sound like a millennial, or particularly th- from through Farrah's gaze? What is that like? Does that mean it had lol in it, or does that mean it's got several emojis? Because Helen Clark uses emojis. It, had, it would have had like TBH. <laughs> I've not been feeling well. Yeah. Um, Otoh, I could meet you behind the beehive mm. for. And 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 finally, like the thing is. The inquiry probably wouldn't have revealed anything anyway. Only the most amateur, le- you know, unless the leaker got this information and the, you know, on their email and then just forwarded it to Tover O'Brien at News Hub, there won't be any record of of the leak. You know, if they took a photo on their phone and then gave it to her, if they printed it out and then gave it to her, they just say, "Oh, I printed it out to read on the plane." Whatever, you know, you don't. There's no. These inquiries never actually reach a satisfactory conclusion. Although the fact of the text suggests that it was going to be that it was the fact. The fact of that text, unless it's something completely, you know, bizarre, suggests that the the leaker expected that they would be found during the course of that inquiry, doesn't it? Again, I don't think you should read too much into anonymous texts that are sort of pleading special circumstances. You know, you can't. Although the police didn't say that, uh, from what was said in the in the statements, it, it sounds like the police believe that whoever wrote the text was the leaker. Yeah, and and, and, and that that person and Tova had to the have... had their, you know, was. Um, would be strong enough to be the subject of an inquiry. The police didn't say that they thought they were two different people, did they? No, and Tova O'Brien seemed to confirm that the, te- the texter was the leaker. Um, so I guess what's just in question is were they a national MP? Were they, you know, but I, I mean, I, th- I think the best thing for this, you know, the best thing for national here is just to move on and forget it ever happened. You know, say you know now they've announced their inquiry with PwC. I'm not sure what that's going to achieve. Probably a, a fifty thousand dollar colourful PowerPoint presentation summarising <laughs> what's been discussed. It's good to, good that PwC will you know get a little bit of lucre out of it. That's, a, that's <clears> the main thing. Just speaking of Tova, I've seen the criticism made on on Twitter when Tova rightly asked Simon Bridges Bridges if it was callous to continue with an inquiry when someone has expressed that they are suffering from um, mental health issues, that Tova shouldn't have run that story in the first place. And I just wanted to say as a journalist that I don't agree. And firstly, we shouldn't assume that Tova knew who the identity of the leak was in the first place. She may have been Mm. sent an anonymous email or whatever, 
and um, and secondly, that um, even if she does know or did know who the identity of the of the leaker was, that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that she also knows whether or not they're in a good hmm. frame of mind. Interesting as well. Tover O'Brien chose she received the text and chose not to report it, hmm. and then RNZ got wind of it and chose to report it. And you know there are all sorts of different questions about the ethics of doing that. I mean, I think in all cases, defensible. Um, mm. The other one thing that just struck me about it is that it now makes it um, practically um, impossible, certainly difficult for any national MP to resign and then before, call <laughs> yeah. it before the next election. Mm, right. yeah. You know, like if you were sort of thinking, oh, I'm just going to, you know, because there are a few, for example, we won't mention any names for fear of um, giving the wrong impression, but who might have been uh, looking at the possibility of retirement and indeed might have been um, being encouraged by the leadership to think about retirement in order to bring a bit of fresh blood through. But mm. now, you know, you're not going to be throwing your hand up to do that for fear that you might in turn be cast as the millennial tech burner phone texter. It's a funny thing. I feel like the, the leaks in Hollow Men were, were far worse and yet there was almost less of a kerfuffle over it, wasn't there? And, and that was some really, you know heavy stuff that was getting leaked out of that. Just in terms of Simon Bridges, I, I saw a you know, a commentary by um Heather Duplissy Allen saying that he's probably um the master of his own demise and although he may not go in the next week or month or even year that he will go. I think certainly the knives will be getting sharpened, you know, the 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 hangy stones will be getting heated up. But I do think <laughs> that he is able to come back from this. Mm. But I think he needs to be better at telling his own backstory. You know, this is a guy who was the youngest of six kids, grew up in a working-class whānau in Te Atatū, was able to get himself all the way to Oxford. Um, you know, he's a bit of a Kiwi battler, um, Simon, but I think he comes across as the as the guy who thought he was going to be head prefect and missed out and he's been tantruming about it ever since. And I think he needs to do what Helen Clark did and sort of go for a brand refresh and just become a more approachable guy, you know, the Kiwi battler rather than the kind of prattish um, prefect that he sort of comes across as now. Free political advice there for Simon Bridges. That is really valuable stuff. You, ben Thomas would charge you $400 an hour for that. I'll give that to you for free, bro. Thanks for nothing. Um, we actually get, we, we, we <clears> thought <throat> we might get a few more people into our podcast. We might get Simon Bridges in, come and chat to us. Cool. We can give him some more advice. Mm. Do a dragon's den if, on him. If the leaker wants to come on, yeah. we could do a phoner. Um, <gasps> we're, we're, we're happy to do, do a phoner with the leaker, um, and uh, we will include... Um, we can do everything. We can change your voice so that you sound exactly like Neve Campbell. Um, <laughs> uh, we can do that, eh, Alice? Yeah, no trouble. It's fine. Should we? Um, should we? Should we? Should we move on to? Um, got a call coming in there. That's my. That's my eighteen-year-old trying to get hold of me. Bring your eighteen-year-old. Just going to me here, Rose. She's not been up here the last couple of times. No, she's actually um, been asked to become a part of Caucus. She's going to be Lisa Owen's understudy wow. for Caucus. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. They've got a couple of years to train her up. Uh, Claire Curran has been sacked. R.I.P. Sort of. Uh, she's the first sacking from the Jacinda Ardern 
cabinet. Well, uh, yeah, from the cabinet. Well, yeah. That's that's a that's a fact. Yeah. Um, but fortunately for um, New Zealand journalism, she re- retains her role as the saviour of um, broadcasting and, and journalism and. and in New Zealand. Is that her official title or is that just... This, this, is, um, this is another example, I think, of how governments lose touch with the ordinary people and only look out for the interests of the elites um, because Jacinda Ardern has solved her problem of having to put up with Claire Curran in Cabinet, but she hasn't done anything for everybody working in the broadcasting sector in New Zealand. <laughs> the ordinary hard-working people of does, New Zealand broadcasting. Does Claire have leaks in her office... People leaking in her office, is that how come these these meetings end up finding their way into no. Melissa Lee's well, no, so what inbox? Was, or no, what? we understand about that, <coughs> I was leaked, um, is that it came up during the due diligence in the recruitment of this guy, Derek Handley, for the chief technology officer role in the government, uh, which is what Derek he, Handley, she, she met him about. Who's the, ma- the man from the future circa 1996? Is how I think of him. Um, yeah, he's a visionary. Mm. He's a visionary. He's a, Claire's a visionary. He's They've a, got together. Like and, you can imagine in the meeting in the Beehive, just, the secret meeting in the Beehive, which was the reason for the sacking of um, all portfolios except for broadcasting and ACC. The two complete nothing portfolios. The, it was, it was, it was, it was the, what, the um, open government. Open, and, open government. Minister for Open is, Government. And it's quite funny because she's the most translucent, um, <laughs> uh, sorry, transparent <laughs> um, government promise ever. And, of course, the, and it was announced at 4 o'clock <laughs> on a Friday when <laughs> New Zealand media is at the pub. Yes, um, after the Prime Minister had known for a week. And, and the, but the, the, sorry, the, 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 I, I, the idea of this clandestine meeting at the top, and I think probably they were talking a lot about thinkfluencing. I think there was a, probably a lot of discussion about thinkfluencing uh, um, during that um what during, was Daniel McLaughlin tweeted when Curran, you know, when the Hirschfeld uh, meeting, which was, of course, her first undisclosed secret meeting, yeah. uh, came to light earlier this year. You know, people were talking about conspiratorially, and Daniel said, I, I feel sorry for it. You know, Carol probably tried to talk a bit about radio in New Zealand, and while well, Claire Curran lectured her on Chomsky for half an hour. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Annabelle. I think she was lucky to survive the first time around. And I think she's been lucky to survive again. Um, I wonder if it's a decision that was made because, you know, it's such a a, a narrow margin between um, the Nats and, and Labour that they felt like they couldn't really afford to have a disgruntled um, MP within the ranks. Mm. Um, but I, I, yeah, you, I just don't understand why you'd be allowed to keep any portfolios after that, especially um, broadcasting, because when you're responsible for RNZ, you know, um, um, being um, also um, translucent <coughs> mm. um, and um, and uh, not having any perception of um, political interference or that sort of thing seems unusual that she'd be allowed to keep that portfolio. And you're right that it's the, the second offence is pretty close in its characteristics to the first offence. It right? is, but you also have to question why, if he was part of a recruitment process, he was wanting to have meetings with her anyway. To me, it seems a little bit well, inappropriate. We don't, we, don't, we, don't know, we don't know about that. And, and I mean, yeah. um, the Prime Minister was quick to kind of absolve 
um, handily of any responsibility in all this because really when you apply for a job, no matter what discussions you have, you shouldn't have any expectation that's going to become public, you know. I mean, mm. that's... Um, but but the fact that a Minister of the Crown is having discussions about a meeting that goes undiarised over her private Gmail account, I mean, not to get all Hillary Clinton on it, but mm. her emails, you know? <laughs> oh, look, absolutely. And the, the thing is... Failing to diarise meetings is not a problem, right? There's, there's no, you don't, you don't. I don't think you have to record it. Um, maybe under the Public Records Act, you might at a stretch. You do have to answer <clears throat> parliamentary questions accurately. Yeah. But then, of course, a number of a number of uh, ministers haven't answered them accurately, and they've gotten tickings off from the speaker. Um, what's really at issue here is whether the prime minister can have confidence in Claire Curran to can, you know, carry on any kind of policy program and perform as a minister in any capacity without sort of tripping over the carpet, like landing on a stove element, falling backwards down a stairwell, trying to steady herself and falling into a laundry chute and rolling into a highway or something. Oh, and, and she cannot. She 100% can't have any confidence that yeah. the... The just the rolling infinite loop of clear current fuck ups will ever stop or even like pause for a moment. So why is she? I mean, is Annabelle right then that she retains broadcasting for fear that she will start a backbench factional revolt from? I, I mean, there's a few theories. That you know, one is that Labor Labor is not flush with funds. They got a lot of money in for the election, um, but they spent it. Labor doesn't like fighting by-elections, uh, especially in a safe seat, because it's just money down the drain. Oh, you mean she would quit if she lost that? Well, you, n- you never know. I mean, she's been hanging around for a long time. She probably, you know, you, you tend not to want to hang around too much longer as a backbencher uh, if you're sacked as a minister. Um, yeah, that, the idea of you don't want disgruntled people. Uh, gender balance is probably an issue. Um, I think that's the only thing that stopped Chris Farfoy from being immediately promoted into cabinet because that would throw out the percentages. <coughs> the least credible theory that I've heard was one advanced by Jane Patterson of Radio New Zealand uh, this week, which was that Curran was needed to stay on on the broadcasting portfolio to see through complex and sensitive policy. Um, I'm making a broadcasting standards complaint about that. That just you can't go on air and lie. <laughs> <laughs> to the people of New Zealand and get them to try and swallow something like that. It's a completely defensible and reasonable position. Jane Patterson, Leader of Radio New Zealand, and I apologise for that appalling defamation on the part of Ben Thomas. Shall we move on from Claire Curran? Is there anything else to say about Claire Curran? Good. Um, also, Claire, you're welcome <laughs> to our podcast. <laughs> and we'd just like to remind the leaker... We'll, we'll record it at to, 10 uh, o'clock in your office leaks are in us. Parliament. We don't need to. We don't need to. We're a story. <laughs> we don't, we'll do it as a story. Don't die, right? we, won't, don't we won't send you a calendar. We won't tell invite. anyone. We'll we won't tell anyone. The leaker will be there. Claire will be there. Three of us will be there. Um, Adrian's new baby will be there. It's going to be special. Mm. Jacinda Ardern this week gave what was trailed as a major speech. You know, you knew it was a major speech because it kept on being gazetted as a major speech. And it was um, it was to the business community, as it's described, and it was um, uh, quite explicitly designed to mollify the business titans of New Zealand over their uh, confidence. You know, and everyone has been making... Comparisons to the winter of discontent in the early 2000s when Clark, uh, Helen Clark and Michael Cullen 
did a similar exercise and held a summit to try and get the business back on side and um, clarify what they were hoping to achieve, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the big announcement on Tuesday morning was the creation of a business advisory council, which is very important because finally big business has an opportunity to be heard <laughs> because previously it was very hard for people in big business yeah. to have their opinions heard in the halls of power and the, the beehive was very difficult for them to use their extensive networks of lobbyists mm. and personal contacts to have Tough, yeah. their views heard. Do you... <clears throat> do you do, Criticised for oh, yet another working group. It's not. A, it's not a working group, but it does still uh, leave open. It's a permanent advisory to, group. It's a permanent a channel. Advi- a stint. It's a body. A it's stint another body. Injected another, into the body politic to uh, allow business views. through. Was this a cynical act? Was it a sensible bit of symbolism? What do you reckon, Annabelle? I think she had to be seen to do something. So I don't think it's a it, it's a bad idea. What annoys me is just how much stock. Um, New Zealand seems to put in business confidence. Um, it seems like um, the, you know we care more about how business is feeling than than some of our lowest paid, um, most disenfranchised workers. Um, I hope she talks to them about like important business issues like the price of avocados and how it's like stopping us from buying houses and stuff. Um. It is important though, right? Business is, you know, that's the... the that Business is the important, going. but it feels if like we feel get held sad, to ransom. If they're feeling sad, uh, someone said that. <laughs> so, someone said um, recently, you know, the difference between Labour and National is that National actually delivers to its support base. And I think while it's a good idea and, and obviously something needs to be done to signal that the government does take its relationship with business serious. I think it's also important too that Labor's not seen to be selling out on its support base mm, mm. to um, to scrape and bow mm. to these business folks who are feeling a little bit blue about, you know, perhaps having to pay people a living wage and stuff. I mean, it does. I mean, David McLean said in introducing Jacinda Ardern at the breakfast, that's the, the the boss of Westpac, said said that um, they, business should just get over it and that they, they're, they're obviously all basically, um, to paraphrase, that they were all grumpy because their, their team didn't win mm. and they didn't expect their team not to win. But in a way, maybe the team themselves didn't expect to win either and that's why they have to <laughs> do things like create advisory councils. That's true. Yeah, I, and, and look, I think that's right. They shouldn't overstate the threat of this government to business. Mm. You know, the, some of the employer groups are uh, launching a campaign against the proposed employment law reforms, and that's fine. That's their core business. They want to do that to protect the you know small and medium-sized businesses who belong to them. But the world won't end. You know, they, they, they most will go back to a 2008 position under the Employment Relations Act. So it's, you know, it, th- these things aren't cataclysmic. You know, where the real uncertainty comes in is things like the decision on oil and gas exploration, and the fair pay agreements, you know, that Jacinda Ardern, you know, to sort of mollify the audience said there'd only be one or two of these things which set pay rates nationally. Yeah, that was disappointing. For for industries. Well, I think she'll be struggling to even get one or two in place. Jim Bulger's leading a a working group, of course, on this. And in order for that to actually, you know, as as, as far as anyone can tell, you know, the government actually has no idea what these things will look like or how they'll work. Um, because you have to take into account, 
you know, how, how somebody, an, say an engineer in a Southland, you know, small town, um, you know, will have the same minimum pay rate as an engineer in Auckland with all the living costs that entails. So I, I don't think anyone has got a good idea on how these things are actually going to work in practice. That'll need a lot of ironing out. Then you've got to pass legislation. Then you've actually got to negotiate one of these things for the first time. So I don't see any prospect that any of them will be in place uh, by the election. Um, but that does create uncertainty for employers. But but I, I think you're right. It, it's it's largely overstated and it's becoming a bit of a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, in terms of, you know, in terms of another advisory group, I mean, there's a question about, you know, how many new ideas it will introduce. The only member who's been named is uh, Chris Luxon uh, from Air New Zealand. Now, whenever you listen to an economic speech by Jacinda Ardern or the Finance Minister Grant Robertson, the only company they ever mention is Air New Zealand. Because in New Zealand, they've got this kind of tripartite, as it was called under the previous Labour government, um, approach where they sort of get the unions and the employer and, you know, and they work together um, with, with government. Um, that's a bit easier for them because they're 70, 75, 50%, 50%, 50%, 50% owned 51%, by the government. Yeah. That's right, there's a sell down there. 50% owned by the government. They're a sort of, they're a legacy monopoly, you know, effectively in New Zealand. Um, which which many of our big companies are so actually the concerns that these got big the sky couch it's a good it's another yeah. <laughs> oh look and yeah they're a good airline they've performed well but I, I don't think they'll be getting many new ideas that they didn't have before by talking to Chris Luxon or in fact by talking to any of these you know the the big companies in New Zealand which tend to be sort of legacy former former monopolies who are actually acting in a very different business environment from small and medium enterprises who are the ones who are feeling a bit gloomy. But on the other hand, they probably do need to get over it a little bit. Just in terms of the whole working group thing too, like actually National had plenty of working groups and one that springs to mind is the one that did the review of SIFs, which didn't feature any Māori in it and was led by Paula Rebstock, who as far as I know doesn't have a background in anything to do with social welfare or children or anything Māori, so... You know, people get annoyed with all the working groups. I don't necessarily think that they're a bad thing, that they, that they are a bad thing, but, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. Um, it's certainly going to be interesting in the lead-up to 2020 because lots of the... I mean, there, 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 are, there are a lot of them, whether or not they're a, a good or a bad thing or a whatever. There's going to be a lot of policy formulated towards the end of the term, mm-hmm. and there's going to be... It's going to, it's going to be, <clears throat> you know, we always say we want... Uh, elections fought on ideas and different programs. It's going to be all laid out there. Um, Wayne Mapp, former Minister of the Crown, former National MP, and sometime spin-off columnist, wrote an interesting piece to that end on the spinoff.co.nz recently, which, which I think which I think is true. I mean I don't think it's a it's a kind of secret plot, but it is it is all going to lead up from the tax working group down to in twenty twenty, here's a They've sort of it's a long it's a, three years is a long time to write a manifesto, arguably, <laughs> but it's all going to be laid out, and 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 that's cool. That's how it's meant to work, right? People in an election get to decide whether or not that's what they want. Yeah, and that might not be a bad time for it. I mean, with um, you know New Zealand first, probably a little to the right in traditional terms to Labour, the Greens to the left. You know, there the, there is a bit of a break there. You know, it, it does become difficult for you know, Labour to make radical changes. Mm. So it could be that an election where we get a chance to reset, you know, the percentage of mm. percentages in Parliament is actually a good time to take all of those ideas to the electorate rather than having <coughs> them sort of hashed out in back rooms with kind of mm. trade-offs and deals. 
Oh, we haven't. Well, I mean, speaking of that, we haven't talked about, we should touch briefly on the fact that Top isn't dead after all. The Opportunities Party has returned with Jeff Simmons. Um, it's now it's brand leader. new and fresh. Um, just to exactly the same. Do they have a shit show? Is there an, any outside chance that they? I mean, it's a hell of an ask to get five percent. There's not. There's not going to be an electorate deal because there really isn't even an electorate that National could do a deal with them on, um, unless you thought Wellington Central. But even then, that probably wouldn't be enough. Do they have a chance of getting five percent, or is that dreamland? I think they've re- they've really got to narrow their focus. Um, you know, they have such a sort of hodgepodge of different policies, um, you know, uh, entrenched Māori upper house, uh, asset, comprehensive asset tax, um, killing cats. They, you know, God, like stuff like that's sort all of, of that all stuff. over the I place. Would vote, <laughs> I think I'm going to vote for okay. them. You, would, would you be interested in standing for them? Maybe. Okay. Right. Well, they're looking for a new deputy leader. Um, now that... Well, I think we I think we can announce that now. Yeah. Um, uh, which electorate are you going to stand in, Annabelle? I'd Lee? like. There was no new Maori seats that came out of the out of the the roll option was there. No. I'd like my own special seat. Uh, you want a new? You want your own seat? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's Rangi a good matarau. top thing. Thinking outside the box. Rangi Matarau, which the is the Maori electorate in Point Chevalier. Uh huh. You'd vote for me, right? Um, I, yes. Thank yeah, you, I would, I would, I would do that. I'm going to make you my campaign manager. Okay, I, I can. Um, I'd, I'll be Sean Plunkett, <laughs> 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> um, you wanted to talk about Chelsea. I've got Chelsea Manning written down here. Oh, I don't know. It's just do you want to talk about that? Uh, not really. I mean, it's kind of boring. But mm. you know, the, it just shows all of these free speech arguments. Always just. They always just turn into, you know, what people prefer, you mm. know. It's, it's always the people I like should have free speech, the people I don't like shouldn't. So everyone's flipped over, flipped their roles from the um, Lauren Southern, Stephen Molyneux debacle. When you say yeah. everyone, do you mean your Twitter feed? Yeah. I need to get off Twitter. Yeah. It's hurting my brain. Let's talk about that. That's more interesting than talking about Chelsea Manning and whether or not she should be allowed to speak. You quit Twitter for a while. I, I, I and did. Then you came back. A, and now you're still back? At the beginning of the week I quit. At uh, the yeah. beginning of the year I quit. And then I took about, I took a week off okay. the other the other week. Okay. So it's, you actually start to this feel your brain regrowing yes. in your skull. Mm. Like your, your body healing itself. Oh, I see. When you're off it. Yeah, you of all it. the right, terrible right, opinions right, 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 and right, just right. garbage views. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's just your drafts folder. <laughs> um, Criminal Justice Summit was held last week in Porirua, Um And it was a big sort of, I suppose, milestone thing that Andrew Little, who was attempting to overhaul criminal justice laws in New Zealand, his kind of one of his overarching ambitions is to sort of take head on this idea, the tough on crime mantra, that kind of default position to send a message, including to those of us who work in the accursed media. Um, Did you pay a lot of attention to it, Annabelle? Um, I didn't attend myself, but I've read some interesting articles and heard some interviews um, about it, one particularly by Aaron Small, who wrote a piece for the spin-off. Um, Smale. Smale. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's mm. what I said. Yes, you did. Yeah. Um, saying that he felt like um, that the Māori male voice was missing from it, which presumably would 
be probably the most important voice to have in the room, given that it's um, our men who um, are overrepresented in the criminal justice system. Although apparently the women's prison population, sixty over sixty percent, are Maori women. So um, yeah, that criticism has come from Pru Kapua, who uh, also who is. Um, president of the Māori Women's Welfare League and the wife of Louisa Wall. So um, I think having a criminal justice, uh, having a, a, a justice summit is, is a great thing. Um, probably something that's long overdue. It's just a real shame that there are pe that it seems as though the voice of Māori have been overlooked in that. Perhaps we need to have our own separate justice summit. That was uh, one of the suggestions, wasn't it? That mm. there is a, and Wyna Jackson is getting towards the finish line on the kind of sequel to the report that came out in, when was the big, oh, big report? I, I think it was 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's 87, was it? Um, so that's, that's, that's coming up later in the year, mm. and it feels like that will be a really interesting, in terms of what he and his team I think they're not making recommendations per se, but what comes out of that report, and, and, and because basically the, the kind of inescapable bottom line of it is that since that first report came out, almost nothing's changed mm. except that there are now more Māori women in, in jail. In jail. Mm. Um, otherwise, it's basically nothing's changed. Mm. I, I feel too like, I mean, not that I'm an expert in this area, but apparently one of the the um one of the sort of gateway crimes into jail is um car offences driving without licenses those sorts of things so you know those are uh, that's something that could be quite easily addressed within the education system if you get kids you know sitting their licenses at school and that becomes a part of the curriculum you know I'm sure there's some very complex solutions and probably some quite simple ones as well. Among the other challenges is the reality that the coalition government has one constituent part that is squarely in the tough on crime mm -hmm. yeah, so space. You know, the three strikes is yeah. attempt. Daniel Little wanted to strike out the three strikes law, the street three strikes rule, um, and he was quite publicly embarrassed by. Mr. Peters and the New Zealand First Party when he had to jettison that a um, couple of months back. Ben, yeah, and and ultimately that's you know well ultimately what's going to bring down the prison population is better social services, better education, better wraparound care for at-risk youth. The only thing that can do it in the short term is changing the bail and the sentencing laws. And that's going to meet a lot of resistance from Winston Peters. It'll meet a lot of resistance from the public. I think, you know, Little's office is very aware of that. Mm. They're aware mm -hmm. of the fact that they have to, you know, bring bring the public with them on this mm. journey to use sort of John Mitchell or Steve Hansen talk. Um, and I guess the Justice Summit was sort of the first part of that about, you know, starting this wider conversation. But it is going to have to get a lot more specific. You know, you, you're not going to be able to overhaul the whole justice sector as one thing or as, you know, a big meeting of 600 people in one hall. Um, so there's going to be breakouts about, uh, is it Māori justice and victims are going to have their own summit and... Um, and, and, you know, because you're, you're really covering everything. You're covering the family court, which is disputes mm. about custody, down mm. to preventative detention, down to sentencing, down to, you know, it's and, and a lot of these things aren't connected and, and the people don't, you know, sort of overlap. 
Um, but you know, it's it's probably good to get people thinking about this in in public. You know, mm. it's it's the only way that people will sort of get away from you know the really sort of knee jerk you know tough tough sentencing means better crime policy um, position. Um, and you know, they've got a few years to do it. There was also one of the kind of reported moments um, was when um, a woman whose name I forget linked to the sen- sen- Sensible Sentencing Trust stood and said that there was not enough focus on victims. And so among, as well as a, this particular summit for Māori, there's been talk of a separate summit for victims. And there's mm. So, I mean, there are obviously a lot of... There's a working group as well that springs out of this, that, that mm. this was the sort of launch pad for, and they'll go about their business and come back with recommendations. Um, it's going to be a live subject for a good while, yeah. Look, cr- criminal justice will be a live subject forever in a democracy. It's a lot of stuff to unfuck, to be fair. Um, you know, uh, very quickly, we want to give a shout-out to our um, uh, other uh, podcast family. Um, what's your favourite in the... Um, the ladies at On The Rag, yeah, but the although rag I'm really hurt that they did like a, a makeup tutorial yes. and I wasn't invited. So we haven't talked about your fantastic menstrual cup gags oh on Spinoff TV. I think we did last That's the best thing I've seen on TV. That was pretty amazing. Thank what was the metaphor? Guess. I don't know. Didn't, oh, and shy. What was it? Your, your, Project. your twat goblet, your Edward Cullen <laughs> shot glass. My Transylvanian tri- teacup. <laughs> what about you, Ben? What's, what's your, what's your favourite in the uh, spin-off stable of podcasts? Uh, I, I listen to On The Rag, but uh, The Real Pod, mm. uh, probably, and it's, and it's picking up now because um, The Australian Bachelor has just started screening on New Zealand TV. When you say it was, it's picking up now, was it had it lost a bit? Was it... Feeling a bit flat, was it? No, no, no. It's good, great, great podcast. But um, everything in my life feels better when you know the reality TV shaped hole in my heart is full. Yeah, that's wonderful. You can catch that um, weekdays at um, uh, uh, ten a.m. That's gone by lunch. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.